from MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Good morning. I'm Malcolm White. I'm here with my co-host, Carol Puckett, who is Skyping in from Aspen, Colorado. And for the next hour, we be we will be your guide through Mississippi's great culinary landscape. This week, we're talking about fish and what's swimming in the Gulf this time of year. We're going to be talking about what to buy, how to buy it, how to prep it, and recipes for cooking fish on the grill. Today, we have John Lester of Dugan Seafood and Chef Connor Wolf from the Farmer's Table Cooking School to answer your questions, no matter how fishy they may be. Give us a call, 1-800-MPB-RING. That's 1-800-672-7464. Or shoot us an email at, MPB, at food at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. Good morning. It is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. I'm here in the studio with John Lester and with Chef Connor Wolf. And coming to us from Skype, my partner, Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Good morning, Mal. How are you? Man, it's good here in Jackson. How's everything in Colorado? It's cool, Malcolm. I hate to tell you, but it's 47 degrees right now with a predicted high of 72. So I'm staying cool and calm. John and I were just talking about uh, what it would, might be like in terms of the difference in weather. What do you think about that temperature, John? Well, she doesn't have to rub it in like, quite like that. But, uh, <laughs> man, if it was like that in Mississippi, we'd have uh, nowhere for anybody to live. It'd be just True. overrun. <laughs> It, it would be absolutely overrun. But, um, Malcolm, you've been on my mind this weekend because of the Mississippi Book Festival. I know you must have been all up in that. So I'm figuring there wasn't much cooking going on in the White household. Well, there was still a cake or two and and some chicken enchiladas. So uh, we ate well. We had a blueberry uh, lemon cake, Ooh. one of those cold oven cakes, uh, Kara made. And also uh, she made up a big old pot of, uh, I mean, not a pot, but a big old uh, slab of uh, chicken enchiladas that I ate on all weekend. So we ate we ate mighty well. How about you? What are Excellent. you eating? What's going on out there well, in the food world? Well, the the food world is, is you know, pretty abundant out here. Uh, you know, the, the vegetables, we're a little bit behind Mississippi, but eating a lot of corn. Um, this weekend, I uh, went to someone's house for dinner, and they actually had grilled corn pasta which i thought was very creative they had grilled the corn you know for the dinner and when it turned out you know to only be like a cup full um Mm. the cook combined it with some pasta and it was absolutely delicious Uh, but the best eating that's going on out here right now is with the black bears (laughs) Uh, the bears well the bears don't eat the bears No, but the bears have realized that winter is coming on, and they have all descended on Aspen. We have Hmm. had a bear in our backyard, and you can see them everywhere. Uh, The bears have to eat 20,000 calories a day before hibernation, and that's, you know, that's a lot of berries. Wow. So, yeah, they're wandering through town trying to tip over garbage cans and 
and scavenge. So you've had an on ongoing struggle with bears. I remember when you had a house in North Carolina, you you had bears <laughs> coming in. I know I had six bear break-ins, and <laughs> you know one of the, one of the most interesting was when I walked in my house and there was a baby bear on the floor eating biscotti. <laughs> so, <laughs> a bear with good taste. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's terrific. So the last couple of weeks, Carol and I uh, have not been live. Uh, we've been alive, but our show has not been live. Uh, uh, NPR preempted us two weeks ago, and then last week we played what I thought was a fabulous interview with uh, Elizabeth High School. Hilarious and informative. Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, go online and do so. It is hilarious. And that's mpbonline.org backslash Deep South Dining or open up the MPB public media app and prepare to be entertained. So we, well, uh, um, go ahead. Well, I was saying, speaking of entertainment, um, I see that Popperville is having their first sweet tea festival. Uh, I, I think that it's just long overdue. Yeah. Because as we know, Sweet tea is the house wine of the South, and I, I'm so glad that somebody's <laughs> celebrating that. And we appreciate Poplarville sharing that info with us, and we encourage other listeners all across the state, if you have an event going on that is food-based or involves food, please send it to us here at MPB, and we'll be happy to get it on the radio and talk about it. And what Carol mentioned was the first annual Sweet Tea Mississippi, Sweet Mississippi Tea Festival. Uh, happening October 17 through 19 in Poplarville, Mississippi, and they are now accepting art and food vendor booth applications. Deadline for signing up is September the 1st. All right, so if you want to get involved in the annual Sweet Mississippi Tea Festival, you can go to Sweet, S-W-E-E-T-T-E-A, Fest at gmail.com and you can get it and they have a great website i I checked it out this morning so you know there's a lot of information and it sounds like it's going to be fun yeah they've got all sorts of fun stuff going on people's choice award uh, for the best sweet tea they got a traditional high tea event which will uh, feature an abundance of finger sandwiches lemon scones and ladies bonnets and hats so, and then they're going to talk what about, about the men. Well, I don't know about the men. I'm just reading the stuff off the I mean, script, Carol. I know, but I hope they, I hope they don't leave out men's bonnets and well, hats. Well, I, I hope not either. Any, either. Chef, do you know anything about working with sweet tea? You, you, grow, you grow tea or know any tea growers? Um, I do not know any tea growers, but I have worked with a couple things as far as brining some poultry and sweet tea. I mean, that's a very popular, popular thing you see around in uh, some restaurants. Um you know, from from Jersey, so we know it is iced tea. You know, no uh, no sweet tea up there, but I, I love it. I love sweet tea. In Jersey, are you offered it a choice of sweet or un? No, they just serve you. They just serve you regular tea, uh, some iced tea, and you sweeten it up yourself. Uh, hmm. Yes, sir. nothing wrong with that. No, and, not at all. Not at all. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, Chef Martha Foose, you know, the great cookbook writer too, mm-hmm. who. Uh, has a great sweet tea pie recipe. Oh, that sounds great. 
I have to try that one. Yeah, I, I know, I know yeah. Martha very well. I'm going to try that one for sure. Again, if you have an event involving food or if it is a food event, please feel free to zip it over to us. Uh, email us at food at mpbonline.org. And if you want to call us on the phone this morning, uh, the number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, And we have three experts in the house. We've got John Lester from Dugan Seafood. We've got Chef Connor Wolf from Farmer Farmer's Table Cooking School uh, out in, uh, y'all are located out in Madison. in Livingston. Livingston. Uh, Livingston. So just straight down 463 down there at uh, 1030 Market Street. The uh, actual mailing address is in Flora, but we're a little, little outside Flora in between uh, Flora and Madison. It's called the Township, right? Yes, sir. The Livingston Township out there. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. There's you know, a little bar out there called the Briar Patch, uh, great cocktails, uh, great tapas and small plates. And then, of course, the Gathering mm-hmm. Restaurant, another another great place to eat out there. little candy store. We have the sweet shop, full uh, full stop there. You can get some wine and liquor at the Livingston Cellars and go to church on Sunday. So, Absolutely. Yes, sir. Now, John, you grew up in the Delta, is that right? All my family from the Delta, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And how'd you get in the seafood business? Well, uh, Earl Dugan. Dugan Seafood and his wife, Laura, uh, met them with my mom when I was uh, preteen. He was in the uh, Kroger parking lot out in front of Howard Brothers on mm-hmm. I-55 North a long time ago. And uh, just selling shrimp and got to know him and uh, just knew him throughout my life. We became good friends. He was kind of like my dad. Uh, we ended up doing some cooking classes together at Everyday Gourmet. Uh, Speaking of Carol, Carol, yeah. Carol Puckett. And, uh, we, and we did other things together. Uh, during my tenure as an um, IT guy, I would glean uh, equipment, older equipment that was going to be tossed, you know, taken off inventory and refurb it. And uh, Doogie would give it out to folks that uh, needed it that were, that were in uh shut-in type folks, Mm -hmm. you know. But anyway, when he got sick with cancer, uh, I'd been helping him on and off uh, holidays when he needed some help. And uh, so I kind of knew this side of the business, uh, the selling part. And uh, so he asked my wife and I, Sheila, to take the business over while he fought the cancer, you know. Great. All right, we're going to take a break, come back. We're going to take your calls. We're going to talk to you about grilling fish, about seafood, what's going on in the Gulf. Uh, We're going to have uh, Chef Connor Wolf as well as John Lester here with us, taking your calls at 1-877-672-7464 or shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. When we come back, more from John Carroll and Chef Connor. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. And our guests are John Lester of Dugan Seafood and Chef Connor Wolf of the Farmer's Table Cooking School out uh, in Livingston. Carol, thank you so much for arranging these two fabulous guests. Tell us a little bit about uh, who's in the studio with us. Well, uh, John, John Lester is somebody that I see on a weekly basis because every Thursday or Friday I visit his seafood trailer that's in the Kroger, not the Kroger parking lot, the CVS parking lot at DeVille Plaza. And uh, I just I have such great admiration for John because he is truly what what you think of as a, an old fashioned fishmonger 
or you know, fish supplier, there are people lined up, whether it's 100 degrees or it's 30 degrees, on Thursdays and Fridays um, when his, when his uh, trailer operates. And for those listeners who, who didn't know Earl Dugan, Earl Dugan, John's predecessor, actually had a pickup truck with a camper shell. And he sold seafood uh, out of the truck. And when John upgraded, he and his wife, Sheila, have a small trailer that they pull onto, onto the site. And they have time for every customer. Uh, we all wait in line. We all expect to wait in line. Because I think part of the joy for John, and John, you can tell me if this is true, is, is interacting with his customers and giving recipes and talk about what you made last week. So it's just a, a warm experience. And the line knows no socioeconomic level. There are just people of all kinds uh, waiting in line. Everybody gets to know each other. And surprisingly, there are people who drive from all over, and I'm talking 150 miles away on Thursdays and Fridays to experience uh, the, the the fish line. Yes, it is a fish fellowship, I would say. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, and uh, ironically, we even have people that drive over from Louisiana. They'll call me, ask what I've got, and uh, ask me to hold it for them. So. And most people don't believe that when I tell them, but, you know, they're, they're in North Louisiana, so they're just like us. They're a ways away from the coast. Well, John, you work with Gulf Fishermen Weekly. Do you actually go down there, or are you just working by telephone no, with I, those guys? On Wednesday mornings, I get up about 4 o'clock and take off, and I go visit uh, families we've been dealing with for decades that uh, Doogie used to buy from, uh, and I get... Uh, fresh shucked oysters, fresh pit crab meat, and fresh shrimp from uh, these families in uh, now South Alabama. Some of them uh, used to be in the Mississippi coast, but between hurricanes and uh, casinos, things have kind of moved. And um, so there's not as much of that industry going on. There's some back bay, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, uh, and uh, drive down and interact with them. I, I usually call ahead, find out what what they got, what I can get, and uh, head back. And then the fish comes out of New Orleans uh, from a company I've been dealing with for a long time. They take good care of me, and uh, we get fresh-cut fish Thursday morning and Friday morning. So you can go to a seafood shop on the coast and, and possibly not get as fresh a seafood as standing in that in that parking lot, you know. Which I appreciate, and folks. I, I hate watching people stand in line, so I try to entertain them a little bit while they're there. <laughs> kind of like old Fred Serrano well, used to do at the restaurant on the right. reservoir. He'd come out, exactly. hand out beer, and yeah. chat with the customers who were waiting for tables. And y'all both know this because you both work with Fred yeah. Cerami. Yeah, Fred's a great That's guy. Ex exactly uh, right. Love, love Fred Cerami. He, uh, he gave me my first restaurant job when I was uh, was 15. I, <clears throat> I worked uh, one day a week. I washed dishes in the back on Sunday nights or actually Monday nights, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, just getting back there, getting in the dish pit, getting your hands dirty. And uh, I moved up to the kitchen, and uh, it was great, great working with Fred. Great, great guy for sure. Now, I don't know him back in the day when he was at the other location on the reservoir, but I'm sure he's the still same uh, same old guy, that's for sure. And, Carol, here's a little – go, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. I'm just going to give you this little tidbit. Sitting here talking to Connor and John, we both discovered that we – all three of us worked 
at Highland in Highland Village at either Oliver's or what it was later the name was changed to um, what's it called uh, Broad Street. Broad Street. Street. So all three of us worked with or for Joey Mitchell in the Oliver's location in Highland Village. Uh, John before me, he worked with Bill Latham and Joey Mitchell, and then later I came in 79, and then Connor worked when the name was changed from Oliver's, uh, and that's we, we, we found that very interesting. Yeah, Chef Sterling was there, and that's somebody that Joey brought in that he had dealt with before, I believe over in the Freeport area, maybe. Um, that's right. Yes, yeah. I remember Chef Sterling. Well, I call that cosmic. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a happening. And I happen to know that that Connor has wanted to be a chef since he was eight years old. So I'm not sure what age he was in that kitchen, but he started early. Yes, it's been a it's been a long time coming for sure. I um, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I've I've always wanted to do this ever since I was probably seven, eight years old. I remember I woke up one day and said, "Hey, I want to be a chef." So um, you know, growing up cooking with my mother and father it was a very um, very influential thing in the household she raised us on the the cliche food is love and uh, i'm i'm i thoroughly believe in that so i um I worked at uh, broad street for a little while and then um, i decided to after high school went to le cordon bleu in miami and i've just i've been loving it i worked for a couple of places in town i worked for the the great Derek emerson at walker's drive-in i worked at kate and local 463 and then um, about two years ago uh, Jim and Bridget uh, Engel, the co-owners of the Farmer's Table uh, Cooking School, gave me a call and said, hey, you want to come out and be a chef? And I, I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I've been there for uh, for two years now, and I'm absolutely loving it, loving it. So how do people get so connected you- to your to your, uh, your, so, um, your classes? You know, there's a lot of word of mouth that goes on as far as people in the community talking, hey, have you been out to the cooking school yet? Definitely come out. But um, you can go to FarmersTableInLivingston.com and see a full list of all of our classes on the calendar. And, uh, you know, we do anything from a fresh Gulf seafood. We do steak night, sushi night, uh, pasta night's a big hit. But I tell you, this lobster ravioli class we've been having is, uh, is killing it. It is absolutely killing it. All right, so these are our guests, ladies and gentlemen, in Radio Land. If you want advice on buying fish, what's available, uh, what's going on in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, how to prepare it, we've got a chef here, we've got a, a fishmonger and a, a, a purveyor of great seafood. John, right before we went to break, you were, you were sharing a recipe with us for some shrimp you cooked over the weekend. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, my wife, Sheila, likes to pair different ingredients and then she hands it off to me to produce the recipe. And she was toying around with uh, jalapenos and uh, cream sauce and uh, specifically pickled, but some fresh, too. So um, Saturday evening, I made up a, a cream sauce with um, some pickled jalapenos, some fresh jalapenos, a little of the jalapeno pickling juice, uh, shallots. And um, I think I hit the uh, shrimp with a little bit of light bronzing light blackening kind of seasoning and uh, we served that over some jasmine rice and had some asparagus it was roasted a little garlic and olive oil and you know it was it was a good meal a little crust of french bread i guess our invitation was lost in the mail john (laughs) that sounds fantastic sounds great yeah john this reminds me that you know that we need to talk about your uh, business partner and better half sheila 
she uh, also is a wonderful fishmonger. Mongress. She's a fishmongress. She's a a mongress, and uh, (laughs) she also comes from a very interesting background. I I know she was in marketing at Skytel. Right. So you both come from tech industries to the fish industry. Exactly. And she's a Nachesian, too. She's a great asset. She's a Nachesian. I guess oh, that's what they okay. call it from Natchez, you know, <laughs> Natchezonian or whatever. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what they call it, but uh, so so that's um, y'all have a family business out yes, there, no it's, doubt. Yeah. And Duggan's always been that way. Earl operated with with Laura, and she's still around, you know, and uh, got a uh, a hit from her on Facebook uh, today, you know. So hadn't hadn't had a chance to look at it yet, but. Uh, and how long has the Dugan business itself been in operation? I believe it's been around about 47 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. 1973 is, is what, since we've been in DeVille, and maybe a year or two before that, we're in that Kroger parking lot, which is just down the frontage road. So, and, and it's evolved. You know, in the beginning, in the early days, he was just selling shrimp, and they actually started doing it in Baton Rouge, where they lived, on their block. You know, I think his wife started doing it, and it kind of picked up and picked up, and they moved up here, and uh, you know, slowly added uh, oysters, crab meat, fish. You know, um, the way that it ended up in Deville Plaza is he was staying in the little motel on the other side of the frontage road oh, yeah. of the highway, uh, and had turned in there trying to figure out how to turn back around and get over there to the motel. And four cars accosted him where he couldn't leave and uh, made him sell him shrimp, you know. And um, I think Maurice Joseph was one of them or knew one of them and had the shopping center at the time or was at least managing it and uh, just told him he he had a place as long as he wanted it there, you know, And, and we're still there. What are what are your most popular fish? What do most people look? What are they looking for? Poundage wise. Um, I sell more salmon than I do anything else. It's Norwegian salmon, cold water. Uh, people love it. Rich taste, good taste, not fishy. Um, the the next biggest seller would be redfish, uh, any of the white flaky fish. A lot of people um, like that, less fishy. Um, you know, fish is funny. It's hard to describe the flavor of a fish. It's really more a textural thing mm-hmm. is the minute differences, you know, the... the um, but um, yeah, I'd say the redfish and the and the salmon um, uh, sell a lot of shrimp. And do you use those fishes, Chef, when you do your cooking school? Yes, definitely. Uh, our redfish class is probably a very very popular class that we do. We do other stuff as far as uh, grouper, tilefish. Um, I love tilefish. Tile's uh, good. Great, great fish. That's a fish from the islands. It's uh, it's really good. It's, they feed on uh, crabs and shrimp and lobsters and stuff. So they say it has a sweet, almost lobster crab-like mm-hmm. flavor to it. It's mm-hmm. very lean, though. You ever cook it? I mean, yeah. quick. It is. It's done. done. You know, it's over with. Dries a bone. I've had a, uh, uh, a a new grouper lately that I haven't normally had, and it's usually uh, a bycatch. You know how you they'll be yeah, catch, sure. catch, fishing for other fish, and they'll catch some other different stuff. And this one lately has been called uh, Yellow Edge Grouper. Uh, Yellow Edge is fantastic. It's fantastic. I, I mean, mean, it's a lot of groupers in the Gulf, a lot of groupers scam's around. Good, scam's good, I awesome. think the Yellow Edge is better than Scam. A hundred percent, I agree with you there. We worked with it a lot. Uh, at, um, go ahead. Okay, I, was, I want to ask, ask you guys, all of this is sounding so great, but I know that there are so many listeners out there that cannot get to Duke and seafood. And I want both of you to tell people 
what they should look for in their in their own fish markets because most people are going to be buying at grocery stores and uh and, and tell them what they should look for and how they should buy fish i tell you i always when i go to whether it's a local store um i always look at it first of course if it looks appealing I always ask to smell it. I always ask to say, let me see that piece of fish. You know, before you wrap it up in that cellophane and stamp it and hand it to me, let me let me smell it and check it out. Um, you know, whether they hold it on a glove or put it on a little styrofoam platter, um, definitely check the smell on it. And then if you're buying a whole fish, you want to look at the eyes, check glossy, the eyes out. Glossy yeah. eyes. Make sure they're glossy and then the gills, too. Peel Same back with the, the fillet, too, though. The fillet should not be dried out. Not it should be uh, glistening, glossy, moist. Yes, um, and another thing is it's really good to try to find as much domestic product as you can because it'll be less adulterated. Now, tilefish is considered domestic, even though it may be caught out in the islands, but yep. it's usually uh, American companies that are bringing it in and all that. So it's more of a domestic product. Yeah, so, it sure is. Um, but I, I suggest, uh, and if you have to buy frozen, try to find something that's uh, vacuum-packed. And it looks good in the vacuum pack, like you're saying. You know, you, you need to shop with your eyes, just like we eat with our eyes. You need to you need to buy with your eyes. Definitely, and check for that. Well, how, how should there. people how should people figure out how much fish to buy per person? Say you're feeding four people. When you go in a store, a lot of times you know that they have big pieces of fish, and people are very confused about you know what is a portion. A uh, typical restaurant serving would be a six to eight ounce piece yeah. of fish per person. Five so, to eight, somewhere yeah. in there. You know, I would agree with that. Yeah. And and eight's on the higher side. So uh, besides the fish, uh, let's talk a little bit about the other items that you carry, John. I know you carry crab meat, shrimp, yeah. and, uh, and you were telling me you primarily get that product from the uh, Alabama Yeah, coast. South Alabama. I tell everybody I go to L.A. every week. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, so... Uh, <laughs> Lower Alabama, but uh, yeah, the, it's uh, the oysters are, are shucked on Wednesday when I go down. The mm-hmm. crab meat's picked early Wednesday morning, and uh, the shrimp are fresh from that day or the night before. So, you know, I don't know anywhere else if you come on Thursday that you can get crab meat that's less than 24 hours old, you know, or shucked oysters. Definitely not. I can vouch for that 100%. I remember in, in high school going and shopping with John, and he probably thought I was. Just some crazy high school kid coming up there to buy fish, and it's uh, it's wild to be sitting in here in the studio with you today. It's, Wait, uh, it's great. You're making me feel old. Oh, uh, come on, your, John. Thanks for your patronage. Come man. on now. Now I've, <laughs> I've always uh, always shopped with John there at uh, at that location in Jackson, and I tell you that it's it's it sells out quick now. You better get in line and wait in line. My mother used to wait in the car with the AC and put me out in the uh, out in the line out there to wait. You and you're still so, shopping with John? Yes, for your yeah, cooking school? yeah, yeah. Through the cooking school, if ever I need some extra extra product or something, I'll give John a call or give guys shout and say come on guys where's the where's the fish you know carol was stating that uh people come from from all over the state i think the uh the doctors probably wonder why they're so busy on thursday and friday because <laughs> everybody makes their doctor's appointments from whether they're <laughs> that's right up in the delta or or over meridian or wherever on a thursday or friday so they can swing in and get some some uh, fresh seafood to take home with them yeah. all right we're going to take a break and uh we'll come back with carol puckett and Chef Connor Wolf uh, and John from, from Dugan Seafood will take your questions, uh, your calls. If you're interested in getting advice on buying, preparing, grilling, or cooking seafood, we're at 1 672 7464. 
That's one eight seven seven MPB ring, or shoot us an email at food at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Deep South Dining. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, seven to ten weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett, John Lester, and Chef Connor Wolf. We got a house full of folks here. We're talking about fish, seafood, how to cook it, how to buy it, what's swimming in the Gulf. We'll take your questions if you're interested. Otherwise, we will entertain ourselves, gentlemen and ladies, and talk about things that we love, like grilling seafood. Let's, if we could, share a few tidbits on how to properly grill a piece of, of fish. You know, a lot of people, they make a big, big mistake of not getting their grill hot enough is the first thing. They think it's, you know, 350, oh, I can get away with it. No, at least I like to grill about 450, 500 at most. Now, 500, anywhere past that, you're sort of walking in no man's land. You walk away from it a little too long, get the kids running around go inside to grab another ice-cold beverage, it's going to burn. Cool. Yeah, that's what I say. If you go out to start something like that, leave your phone in the house. Yes. Take your adult beverage with you. Keep the cooler and, outside. Yeah, and, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned high temp. To me, it, it, it's like searing a steak. Uh, you want to seal that up and hold the... Uh, the the natural juices and moisture inside, the flavor inside. Definitely, definitely. And so most cooking of seafood is is quick. People are scared to try to cook seafood because they just don't know how, you know, and they think it's complicated, when in reality, it's one of the quickest, easiest things. You just have to pay attention, maybe uh, have all your sides already ready first before you start so that you can plate hot. Definitely. Um, You know, and keep the seasoning simple. A lot of people Mm -hmm. go wild with all these different, you know, spices and this and that. And there's a time and a a place for that. Right. There's a time and a place for that. You want to do black and red fish? Hey, do black and red fish. But at the end of the day, I find salt and pepper, and that's it. If Let you the start natural with flavors. a good product, no matter what, mm-hmm. whether it's a protein or a veggie, or if you start with a quality product, you don't really need to do that much to it. It will shine itself. A hundred percent. Now, here's a question I often get. Skin on or skin off? Both. Um, both, <laughs> yes. Definitely both. It just depends uh, it depends on what kind of fish you're cooking. I mean, a redfish skin, you don't want to eat yeah. the redfish skin. Grouper unless it's skin, a, nah. No, too tough, too yeah. tough. I like, you know, good snapper skin. Oh, yeah. If you cook salmon skin right, you get nice and crispy. I love that. Usually the the younger or smaller uh, of the fish that has the type of skin that you want to eat skin on, it better. You know, even yes. snapper, when it gets bigger, can get a little tough on the skin. It can, it can. I tell you, yeah, I, I love curl it good. On you. Oh, for sure. You need to maybe crosshatch cut it a little bit. Definitely score the skin, mm-hmm. though. If you're cooking something with skin on, um, I would not recommend using skin on on the grill um, unless you're having some sort of griddle plate that you're going to be using out there. It will tend to fall off, but uh, definitely score it with a knife. Just barely, for those of you that don't know what scoring is, you're taking a very sharp knife and just Barely going through the actual skin on the outside, not cutting through the entire fillet, but just allowing it to have those beautiful X marks there, so the skin does not curl up like some, John was talking. Get some about. olive oil on it, good. Yes, and um, uh, we, uh, yeah, a little bit of seasoning. Okay, yeah, I have bit. a question here for you guys. I think one of the biggest problems and the biggest fears people have is 
sticking to the grill. How do you keep fish from sticking to the grill? Uh, hot, hot grill. Yep. Definitely clean, number one. Clean, clean, hot grill. Definitely. Oil the grill and put a little olive oil on your fish. Definitely. You know, put a little, uh, whether it's a light olive oil. I like to tell people some grape of the bigger seed. mistakes. Grapeseed. Yes, uh, it's definitely use a high heat oil, whether it's a vegetable, canola, grapeseed, peanut, avocado. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the smoking points when you purchase these oil, guys. A lot of people make that mistake. And their olive oil or their extra virgin olive oil will start to smoke excessively and even catch on fire at some time. And you should be careful of oils that uh, have other things in them. That's a great thing, you know, flavoring oil. But depending on what it is, it might, it, if it's a sugar content or anything like that, it yes. may want to um, char up and make things stick and burn, too. So Definitely. you so you light your fire, get your grill hot, clean your grill, clean the grill first. then brush, brush your grill. Yeah. But you can uh, brush your grill, or sometimes I keep just a, a kitchen towel outside. I wrap up with a little butcher's twine mm-hmm. and have a little... Uh, Maybe a little container of oil, oil a little, yeah. and just or kind of brush spray, it on there. You can spray. spray, or sometimes I'll take um, paper towels, wad yeah. it up like you're yeah, talking about, definitely. dip it in a little oil, and just yeah. rub it on there, and then crank it up and let it get smoking. Huh? Yes, and, and add, then add the fish. Mm-hmm. Then add the fish, and everybody kind of wants to be, uh, you know, Chef Boyardee. They want to be flipping and doing all this. The less flipping you do, the better. One time. One time. Yeah, I and say one. I suggest to season it, put some olive oil on it, sit it on a platter or whatever on the counter for. 30 minutes while you're getting everything ready. Yep. Let it get room temperature so you don't shock it. Definitely. Definitely. Good pointers. We got a caller. Uh, Linda's calling in from Tylertown, and she has a question about the uh, flooding, uh, the algae, and the environmental impact on our seafood. Linda? Good morning. I was just wondering how this algae bloom has affected our seafood. Should we be leery of what we eat, where we get it, or anything like that? Hey, Linda. Thanks for calling in and being a part of the show. Um, this is John with Dugan Seafood. Uh, I can I can answer your question. the The algae bloom started uh, from them opening the Bonacary Spillway, trying to relieve some of the fresh water coming down the river, and the barrier islands across eastern Louisiana and across Mississippi uh, hold that fresh water in, which drops the salinity, and with the heat of the time of the year of the water. Um, it allows that algae to bloom and grow. So a lot of the species will are sensitive to the salinity and will move out with it if they can. Others that can't are affected by it and, and are killed. But um, to answer your question as far as uh, safety, you cannot commercially or even um, uh, recreationally fish in those areas. I know you can't commercially, and I don't think you can uh, recreationally, and there's nothing really in there to catch. So... And then that's really just maybe, what, 10% of the Gulf. Gulf's a big place. So all the rest of the Gulf is fine, and they're harvesting from there, and nothing is being harvested from that bad area, and the algae's not affecting the rest of the Gulf because of the high salinity and the movement of water. So the seafood that you're finding is good. Go for it. It'll be fine. That makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) Good. Great. Well, thank you so much for the call. And the next caller is Bob calling from Jackson. And I'm going to hand this one off to Chef Connor because the question is about how do you make the famous Jackson, Mississippi, Greek-style fish? Let's let's see what Bob had to say. Hey, Bob. Morning. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Uh, This is Chef Connor Wolf talking to you. What's going on, brother? Another lovely day. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Mayflower Greek style fish, and uh, of course Bill's Burger. I'm sorry, Bill's Greek Tavern. What's stepping through this? I would have to say, um, 
I think cavenders is one of the bigger things yeah. that I would use. You know, get some cavenders, whether you can find a low sodium one or not. Hey, let's just let's be real. Use the real deal, okay? Get some real deal cavenders and butter, a fair amount of butter. Um, of course, you can saute in a high heat oil. High heat. Uh, same thing with uh, on the grill. You know, have your pan quite literally smoking hot, Bob. Okay, get it smoking, smoking hot with no oil, and don't. Use any of those Teflon pans that a lot of people use. Get a good, uh, whether it's a cast iron skillet, you want to use a stainless steel pan, that's that's perfectly fine. But get it screaming hot, put a little vegetable oil, grapeseed, canola, any high heat oil. Lay that fish presentation side down. So when I say presentation mm-hmm. side, I mean the opposite of skin side. Cut so, side. Cut side, right. Cut side down. And then, of course, put a little cavenders on it beforehand. Don't put too much and with the Greek style fish, especially cavenders, very strong seasoning. I like to season just one side, whether it be the presentation side. Hit it on there, and and like I said before, don't don't stir it and don't do all this crazy stuff. Let it sit, you know. Give it a little shake at first to prevent sticking, and then let it let it hang out. Let it get a nice crispy crispy uh, skin on there, a crispy uh, flesh. Flip it, and then just finish the pan with maybe a tablespoon of butter or so. You know, a lot of these places around here they'll they'll put a lot of butter in it. Uh, Cavenders and butter is is, uh, is my trick to that. And uh, in addition to that, you can also um, dust it with a little flour if yes, you want a little, yes. and not a lot, just a light dusting, shake off the excess. If you wanted to crust up like you see at Bill's place or at Mr. Jerry's to make flour. Um, uh, but uh, a flat top works great if you yes, happen to have of one of those built into your uh, into your kitchen. You know. Okay, right, I have a question. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Carol. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, as uh, as John Lester knows, uh, my significant other and I like to eat a lot of whole fish. We love it when pompano is in season. We love to do whole snapper and whole flounder. Can you do these fish on the on the grill as well? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, you definitely can. Uh, make sure you're scoring the skin, mm-hmm. though, to kind of get a little bit more even, even cooking, cooking throughout. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And a lot of times, uh, a basket, if you have one that will... Uh, that will uh, encase that will make it a lot easier and not fall apart, especially with something like a flounder. Definitely. You know, that's a little bit smaller flake and uh, would might want to try to come apart on you. But it's great, and you can stuff the cavities and Love the slits that. with uh, some fresh herbs and some lemons butter. Uh, take a microplane and, and fluff off some lemon zest and mm. mix in with that, some cracked pepper. You know. Bob, do you have another question? Uh, not really. To recap, uh, a little seasoned flour, uh, hot skillet, cavenders as it goes in the skillet or before it goes in the skillet uh as far as the cavenders goes definitely put um stepping wands just take your piece of fish and you could even mix in cavenders with your flour and do a little tiny mm-hmm. mix right there dust it in there and then just like john was saying shake off the excess throw some oil you could put oil and butter in the pan if you'd like but yeah, i like to finish i, uh, I yeah. like to finish the butter but yeah. the, the butter really adds to the color and the flavor especially yes. in the end uh timing wise though depending on the thickness of it you know uh most fish fillets half inch to you know a couple of minutes aside max at that Definitely. kind of temperature i would say no more than about eight about eight to ten minutes tops on that red fish yeah yes sir sounds good thank you so much thank thanks you for, for your call me. bob we really appreciate it we're going to take a short break come right back we've got several callers on the line we've got chef connor and john lester here and carol puckett to talk about seafood grilling and cooking fish we appreciate your calls this is deep south dining i'm malcolm white we'll be right back after this break 
Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett, way out in Aspen, Colorado. In the studio, we have John Lester and Chef Connor from the uh, cooking school out at Livingston. What do you, the farmer's market, right? No. Uh, farmer's table farmer's cooking table. school. I can't quite get So we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll cooking classes. We're going to go straight to the phone because Jim is calling about one of our guests' very favorite, which is redfish on the half shell. Hey, Jim, what's up? Good morning. Um, morning, John. Morning. I, uh, I, get, I get redfish fillets from John with the scales still on, and uh, you just put those on a hot grill and bait. we'll put a little salt and pepper on and then baste them with garlic butter. Yeah. Um, you don't have to turn them. Uh, no, you can... You, you might want to put the top down if you need. If it's a bigger fillet, you might put the top down to help cook it through. But yeah, right. And once it gets flaky on top, you don't have to turn it. Once it gets flaky on top, you just take it off, and when you're ready to plate it, it slides right off the skin and scales onto your plate. And it's it'll, it's the best grilled fish you ever ate. Yeah, it, it holds in the the natural flavors and juices. It's it's an excellent way to cook. Next to whole fish, uh, it may even be better than whole fish because it gets the uh, opportunity to take in some of the grill flavor and all, you know, more. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for the call. And, uh, Thanks, Jim. Uh, uh, Jim, I don't know. Chef, do you want to talk a little bit more about the half shell? Uh, I we tell kinda... you, I, I love the presentation style on it, mm-hmm. though. You know, you go to some, some more uh, fancy restaurants down in New Orleans on the Gulf Coast, and they'll serve it to you on a big plate still with the shell on mm-hmm. it. It is. It's great. Great way. Uh, very, uh, you know, you want to look for that opaque flesh, flaky like we're talking about. And John said it locks in that moisture. It really does. I mean, that, that's a great way to cook uh, cook redfish on the half shell. And for the ladies that are somewhat scared of the presentation and would rather, like Jim said, take it off of the, the half shell once it's cooked, um, it'll slide right off. You can also take a spatula and hit it on the tail end right. and just pick it right up with the spatula so that you have a clean plate, you know. Definitely. All right. Carol, what, what do you know about redfish and uh, cooking at half shell? I've just eaten it a lot. I've never cooked it. But I am certainly going to, next time I'm standing in line uh, waiting for John or Sheila, I'm going to be buying some redfish to do on the half shell. But I I do have a question that that came up when you were talking about putting the lid on the grill. Generally, when you're grilling fish, do you open or close the lid? I'm, I'm I'm closing the lid. You know, I take it. I'll close it. Depending on how how thick it is, if it's exactly. a very thin piece of fish, not necessarily. You know, you don't have to do that. But a thicker piece of fish, you know, salmon, you cooking a piece of grouper or something, sort of speed up that cooking process. Definitely uh, close the lid on it. And it doesn't have to be for that long, but it will help build the flavor that you're looking for for that cooking process anyway out on the grill. All right, we've got another caller on the line. Adam is calling us from somewhere in the Delta along Highway 61. He wants to talk about these crazy Asian carp and if we have recipes. Hey, Adam. Hey, enjoying the show. Y'all are making me hungry. Now, I know <laughs> y'all have been talking a lot about these delicious fish like pompano, redfish, snapper, down on the Gulf Coast. But what about these uh, Asian carp? Is, uh, you know, anybody... Is anyone trying to do anything with them? I'm going to let you take this one, John. Yeah, I've heard of some folks cooking, uh, and it's it's supposed to be a delicacy, supposed to be good. Unfortunately, right now, you could probably, in the Delta, catch Asian carp uh, 
almost <laughs> anywhere uh, where yeah. water used to not be. That's right. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, hopefully that's going down as fast as possible. Uh, I know that it's uh, very bony, kind of like a gar. We were, I would, we were just, uh, we saw your call come up, and we were kidding during the break that, uh, you know, you can take a gar. And uh, between the bones, you can take a little small melon bar, baller and scoop the flesh out, and they call it gar balls. Make some well, gar balls, yeah. yeah. And and they're good. Ah. And I think you could probably do the same thing with Asian carp. Uh, but my thought too would probably be that um, with the Asian carp being so bony, you may have to cook it in the process of whole and um, just barely cooked, and maybe pull some of that. Uh, the the meat from the bones and incorporate it into another dish, like even maybe a pasta dish, or or something like that. You know, we're gonna have to do a uh, Asian carp class at the cooking there school next week. We'll I'll, be, I'll be there John for come that. On out. Yeah, I'll yeah. bring the wine, and you come down too, Adam. We'd love to have you. We could do that. It'd be great. <laughs> Appreciate the call, Adam. And next, our caller is calling from Ocean Springs down on the Gulf Coast. Samantha, how are you? Hi, I'm doing all right. How are y'all? We are great. What's on your mind today? calling to talk about lionfish and i was wondering if you guys have ever cooked it up and what your recommendations are i tell you i have cooked lionfish samantha and it is it is a very very good fish it's a for those that don't know what a lionfish is it's an invasive species it's sort of come down yes predator fish and people want them gone they want them gone they're eating up the coral eating up natural uh, natural fish that are um, native to the area so what I do is, of course, there's a lot of spines on them. You know, I usually get them when they're clean. I had a guy, a good, a good friend of mine, is a, a local that comes into uh, the cooking school, and he gave me a big bag of them. I said, "How do I, how do I cook it?" He said, "Just like any other fish. You know, it's typically it's very thin fillets that you'll get. Lionfish don't get very big, so you could just lightly dredge them and do a little pan fry. Uh, very simple seasonings, uh, like we were talking about. I don't know if you heard earlier about the um, the Greek style redfish, but that would be a great way to cook them." Or just keep it simple, salt and pepper, a little bit of uh, oil in the pan, and just cook it till it's a nice opaque flesh, kind of flaky, uh, flaky flesh there. So I've seen some uh, Asian presentations as far as seasonings with that fish too. But uh, he's right about the spines and all. They can almost be uh, uh, poisonous or hurt you. So yes. you've got to know how to clean that fish to deal with it. So it's best if you don't to if you can find it already prepared, clean, ready for cook is is the way to go. You get a lot of lionfish down there, Samantha. Uh, we uh, we don't see them so much in uh, where I live, but they're real invasive in Florida. In Florida, when you've been in in Florida, and there was a movement started um, several years back, maybe more than four or five years back, maybe further back than that, to try to make it a culinary. Uh, Definitely, uh, uh, ingredient to be used uh-huh. so that it can be uh, fished for and help. Uh, keep the pervasiveness of it down. We uh, we had a recipe at a restaurant called Swine. It was a, a smoked lionfish dip. So, I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. find different things to do with it, whether it's fry it, pan sear it, smoke it, make a dip out of it. Um, you know, it's, it's becoming a problem. And I think at one point you could even turn in lionfish to the local uh, Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and get, get almost paid for it, like you would a snakehead or something. You get like a yeah. dollar a fish or something. Huh. Um, all right, let's go back to the phones. We have Fletch calling from Indianola. Hey, Fletch, what's going on? Hey, quick question. Uh, any advice if you've got like a uh, decently thick slice of salmon, thick in the middle, thin on the ends, how do you cook it evenly uh, and get it as well as it needs to be without overdoing the thin part? Um, cooking it evenly as far as on the grill goes, you know, I like to take it, if it's a very, very thick piece, you can also do a two cooking process, you know, talk about it, getting a hot grill, uh, oiling it down, salt and pepper, 
And then after you flip it, if it's very, very thick, you're having a little trouble, it's getting charred, there's nothing wrong with putting it in the oven. You know, put it in the oven low and slow, about 250, 300 degrees, and just let it come up to temp. Now, I like my salmon more on the medium to medium rare side. So I just I tag it for a couple minutes and, uh, and pull it off on the grill. But you can also, um, if you if your grill has several burners or uh, even if it's not a gas grill, you can make hot zones and cooler zones. And you can start it in the hot zone and then move it to a cooler zone that gives you a little more time. Uh, another thing you can do is you can flip that tail under, and uh, it'll make it more of an even thickness all the way across. It, it's not quite as pretty, but it'll all come out uh, closer to the same, but the same uh, done at the same time. Uh, a lot of people, though, like... The, the toro or belly part of the Love salmon it. fillet, which he was talking about, and the tail because it's thinner and it actually gets a little crispier. So you do get uh, two different types of textures in that one meal. We appreciate the call, Fletch. Uh, Carol, have you been cooking and eating any fishes or seafoods out there in Colorado? I have been. I, I haven't done much grilling, but I've been cooking red trout. Oh, um, good. Arctic yeah, char. yeah, Arctic char. Yeah. You're going to bring some back to it. us, Carol? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I will. But this Colorado red trout is just beautiful. And I did a dish the other night that I, d- I put the fish on a sheet pan and put broccoli and olives with it mm, and yeah. just, you know, swirl some olive oil over the top and put it in the oven for 10 minutes. And it was absolutely delicious. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributors from our listeners like you. Our show is produced by the magical Java Chapman. For Carol Puckett and our guest today, John Lester of Dugan Seafood and Connor Wolf from the Farmer's Table Cooking School, I'm Malcolm White. Please stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And join us next Monday at 9 o'clock in the morning right here for Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio.